Welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed College senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Amelie Andreas, and today we'll be learning about the smaller end of plastics and presumably the larger end of aquatic invertebrates, which turn out to still be pretty small. It's microplastics and macroinvertebrates with environmental sciences biology major Mahalia Dryak. Well, that's all for me. Over to you, Frank. Welcome, Mahalia. How are you? How have you been? I have been hanging in there, doing all right, despite the state of the world. Yeah, I feel that. So do you want to start by just introducing yourself, telling us where you're from, what department major you're in, and where you are in the thesis process? But you're done with your thesis, right? Yeah. Cool. Okay, yeah. So my name is Mahalia Dryak. I'm from the Driftless region of Western Wisconsin from a small organic farm. Um, and my department, I was an environmental studies biology major. And I have finished my thesis despite all the odds. <laughs> And the title of my thesis is The Ubiquitous Pollutant Measuring Microplastics and Ecosystem Health Along the Clackamas River, Oregon. Whoa. So that's like <laughs> doing your laundry and washing dishes and stuff, all those microplastics? Yes. Cool. So what, what was that about? What was your thesis? What did you discover? What did you do? So I went along the Clackamas River from the headwaters to where it empties into the Willamette. And I took water samples in order to process them for microplastics, just to see how many microplastics I was gonna see in the samples. And then in order to measure the ecosystem health, I took uh, macroinvertebrate samples because they're a good indicator of how healthy an ecosystem is, as well as some other um, measurements such as dissolved oxygen, temperature, pH, and other parameters like that. What did those measurements help to show or prove? They helped to show how habitable a place is. So, you know, some creatures need, can only survive in a specific temperature or pH range and organisms in the water depend on oxygen in the water. So the amount of oxygen in the water, aka dissolved oxygen, um, can help show things. <laughs> so were you focusing on like species and keeping waterways habitable or... Were you just focusing on measuring the microplastics? My main focus was measuring microplastics, but in order to make it somewhat biology related, I sort of tacked on the, the invertebrate sampling. I wanted to see if there was perhaps a correlation between the number of microplastics I was finding and if there were lower diversity scores for the invertebrates. What kind of invertebrates were you looking at? So there are a lot of different types of, it's been a while, um, <laughs> but there are a lot of different types of um, fly larvae. And um, there's this really good guide from the, Zer I think it's the Xerxes Zerx Society that has a 
Pacific Northwest invertebrate macroinvertebrate guides. So um, people can maybe look at that, but a lot of different fly larvae and um, other little amphipods or just sort of different critters crawling around. <laughs> I found a couple, I accidentally caught a couple fish, which I promptly let go so that they mm. could keep on swimming. And a couple, um, what are they called? Like crawdads, not crawdads. Crawfish? Yeah, crawfish. <laughs> I found a couple of crawfish, which were cool to look at as well. What made you focus on invertebrates instead of fish or crawfish? So it's pretty well known that uh, macroinvertebrates, it's sort of just a standard in um, sort of river and stream science because they're small but big enough to see <laughs> see with your eyes. And they they are sort of split up into tolerant, moderate, and um, sensitive. And so by seeing which ones are absent or which ones are present, it's easy to tell um, <laughs> what gotcha. is good. Yeah, I'm not really sure on fish surveying techniques, but it probably exists. So uh, what made you choose this topic? It's sort of been going on for a few years now. I guess when I first moved away from my um, family to go to college, I was really aware of how much waste I was producing and how much plastic I was using. And sort of since then, have tried to reduce my footprint in both of those areas. And as I was researching and learning about all those things, I realized how big of a problem microplastics are. And they're basically on every corner of the earth. Like they're now on, they're, they have been deposited via air to different national parks and mountains. And they're in the deepest oceanic trenches. Um, yeah, so they're basically everywhere. <laughs> and they're very harmful to wildlife if they consume them. Their stomachs can fill up and then they think they're full, but they're not actually getting enough nutrients. So that's bad. <laughs> and they're also, plastic is contains a lot of known endocrine disruptors, which can affect our, you know, hormones and different reproductive abilities of different species. So yeah, it's basically a huge, very ubiquitous problem. And I was trying to, you know, if I was trying to change things in my personal life of how I was, you know, contributing to the problem, but I really wanted to sort of focus my science also on that and try and spread the word about how bad it is and how much all of us need to try and do a little better and get some legislation through. Yeah. What kind of, um, what kind of ways have you been conserving in your personal life? Yeah. Any tips for conserving so there's not less microplastics? Things are a bit tough with COVID now, so some of these tips might not apply, but I just always try to 
refuse any single-use plastic. So not having it in your life to begin with can be helpful. I've found that I can actually save a lot of, a lot of money if I'm buying my food in bulk and, you know, bringing my own cloth bags. I've, I made some cloth bags from some old. I just want to say also that I feel like with the plastic-free and zero-waste movement, there's a lot of like, you have to buy all these little fancy things in order to be the correct type of reducing your waste but it's also very easy to use what you have and try just to reduce the amount of plastic you're using Mm -hmm. I just wanted to add that but um yeah I think a lot of my plastic waste came from food and also different hygiene products and so I just try and reduce the amount of plastic I'm buying in the grocery stores and also you know, a simple switch is that I now use bamboo toothbrushes instead of plastic toothbrushes because they're a very highly littered item that you can find along beaches and in the ocean. So yeah, and then once with my research in this thesis, I also was looking at how many plastics go through our wastewater treatment plants because of washing all of our synthetic clothing. And so sort of a big tip for that is... When possible, try not to buy synthetic clothing, but if we all probably have it already, so there's no use in just throwing that out to get new stuff. So (laughs) washing your synthetic clothing less when possible. I've heard there's filters you can get for your washing machine that can keep some microplastics out. Yeah. Like of, of going back into the water system. Yeah, there are filters like that. They're pretty expensive, so not accessible to all. So if you have the means, by all means, please buy that filter and reduce microplastics. <laughs> so for your thesis, with your measurements, what was the outcome that you found? And was it what you expected when you started? Yeah, so I was sort of expecting there to be a gradient of the amount of microplastics I was finding with the least amount at the headwaters and the most amount where it emptied into the Willamette because just it can accumulate over time and be moved down the watershed. And that is not what I found. I actually found, well, to clarify or to put it out there, I had five sites. So I found it in all of the five sites from the headwaters to where it emptied into the Willamette. I actually found the most amount of microplastics in the middle two sites, which were, which after thinking through it, I sort of attributed to one of them being super near a campsite where I saw a lot of macro trash along the shoreline. So um, I think that could be introducing a lot of microplastics into the water at that point. Additionally, one of the sites was just downstream of a bridge that cars can drive over. Actually, a lot of microplastics that we introduce into the environment come from our car tires. So I sort of attributed those sites having the highest amount to those two things. Wow. Yeah, I would think a tire would take a very long time to break down, but whatever does break down is probably pretty strong. I think they just sort of shed all throughout their life time I mean if it's if you need to replace your tires every so often like it's wearing down and it has to go somewhere so (laughs) it's true every time you drift you're just making endless microplastic (laughs) 
So were there any unexpected challenges that you encountered during this process? I mean, in general, before the pandemic, I think it was a pretty standard thesis with some procrastinating on my part. But yeah, I have to say COVID was a big (laughs) wrench in the system. Um, I had procrastinated some of my lab work. And so when Reed was about to shut down, I sort of got in all of the lab work I needed to. Um, That required different chemicals. And so I was able to do that in the biology lab. But I ended up having to make a sort of home lab setup which just required a microscope, which is pretty good because a lot of other people had to pause their lab work or sort of rearrange their thesis. But yeah, so I I guess one of the challenges was me procrastinating my lab work and then making a actually pretty rad home lab setup, which was fun to have. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. (laughs) So what skills did you acquire or strengthen within this experience? So part of the reason I chose this specific project is because I wanted to gain skills in sort of river sampling ways, methods, things, (laughs) because I had experience with sampling things in the ocean through my time at sea semester, but I wanted to learn some freshwater techniques. So I was really happy to gain some river sampling skills and yeah, also learning how to identify different macroinvertebrates, which there's a learning curve, but I I think I got <laughs> I got somewhere with it. So that was cool. And then yeah, I guess also just sort of holding myself accountable to make sure I hit the deadlines, especially towards the end when I just sort of had to push through all of the turmoil going on in the world. Yeah, Did you do a semester at sea? Yeah, so semester at sea is a different program, but I did sea semester, which is uh, like I spent a month on a sailboat at sea in the Caribbean. That's cool. Did you do biology stuff? Yeah, so my program was called the Caribbean Reef Expedition. So we stopped at four different islands along the Caribbean island chain, and we surveyed both the fish and the invertebrates and the coral in all of those places, which was really cool. So I learned how to snorkel and also how to sort of survey underwater. Wow. (laughs) And my, my independent project for that semester was also about microplastics, which is sort of where I started researching about them, but I've been thinking about it for years now. Like you said, I guess there's a market for studying microplastics everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So beyond the skills that you learn, how do you think this experience will inform your life after read? Like, how do you think you'll put those skills to use, I guess? It is my hope to find a job in conservation and or to keep, you know, researching different environmental problems. And I need a little break from microplastics because researching it every day can be very taxing on my mental health and how I view the world because it's just very disheartening to see all of the negative effects. So 
I need a little break from them, but I don't think I'll ever fully let them go. So I'm I'm sure I'll be researching them in the future and or helping to push through legislation to act on them so that we can sort of stop them from happening and hopefully cleaning up, although they're quite small and very hard to clean up. So TBD on that. Do you have plans for like what you're going to do coming soon or are you doing anything now? I am currently actually researching with Aaron Ramirez on some remote GIS work looking at fire and drought in the Los Padres National Forest. And after that, I've been applying to some jobs through AmeriCorps, which can hopefully get my one of my feet in the door for getting into the conservation world. So yeah. What is AmeriCorps? AmeriCorps is sort of like the Peace Corps, but for America. (laughs) So there are a lot of different types of programs and different sort of service. It's called a service year. So the ones I'm applying to are a lot of conservation-based ones. So either, you know, restoring different natural areas or um, I have applied to one in the Sierra Nevadas that are about preserving river basins in the mountains so hopefully I can get one of those that's really cool so I I have no more questions for you do you have anything else that you wanted to add about microplastics is there anything that you feel like I left out or that you really want to share with listeners I guess I'd just say that we all once we know about the problem have the power to sort of do something about it or help mitigate the problem so wherever possible, reducing your plastic consumption, you know, calling your legislators, letting them know you support legislation that will play in this. And I hope to see some of y'all for all of the wildlife and ecosystems that don't speak human, but still deserve respect. So yeah, yeah, we all have a part to helping me combat microplastic problems. (laughs) That's a great takeaway. And this has been a great interview. I hope you have a great rest of your summer. It's got a few weeks left. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much for your research and advocacy, Mahalia. I wish I had classes on how to speak to ecosystems at Reed because that would totally be on my schedule. Although I have to say, I am taking restorative ecology, which is pretty damn close. And thank you as well to all of our listeners who took the time to tune into this episode. I hope you'll join us again to hear from more alumni and students about what it means to burn your draft. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janaga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member and class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast start by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.